Let's look at Paul's letter to Titus. It's an epistle. Paul wrote this letter after 1 Timothy. So it comes right after 2 Timothy though. Actually it should be between 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. To encourage and remind the church of what's important to teach or to remind Titus of what's important to teach the church. So because it's for the church, it's the pastoral episode. Okay, it's one of the pastoral episodes. So three episodes, three letters, Titus, uh, Timothy, 1 Timothy, Titus, and 2 Timothy. About Paul the Apostle, we don't need much of an introduction. We are quite familiar with who Paul is, right? Uh, we know the books. We know what he's written. Uh, we have some, developed some kind of familiarity with Paul through the scriptures that he's written and uh, through our own readings. So Paul, I'm not going to focus on. But before I introduce Titus, if you are like me, orientationally challenged, I need to know where in the world is Crete? All right? Because I'm going to introduce those places to you. So for a person like me, I'd like to know on the map, where is Crete? Where was Titus? Uh, Where did he travel? Because I'm going to be speaking about some places. So in order to give you some orientational reference, I have decided to include this slide. Okay? So as you can see, there is Crete. It's a small island. That's where part of Greece, that's where Paul is writing the letter of Titus to Titus. The epistle, a letter. If you have had a chance to read the letter... Wonderful. If you hadn't had a chance to read the letter, wonderful, because you would have a chance to read it after this message. So, if you plan to read the letter, my suggestion is read it in one sitting, because it's a letter, and it's only got three chapters. So read it in one sitting for you to have an understanding of what Paul is trying to tell Titus. So, now that we know where Crete is, Let's look at who Titus is. Okay? So let's, let, let us introduce Titus. So Titus is a Greek. Okay? So who probably heard the message from Paul during his first missionary journey. Okay? So Titus is a Greek. The earliest mention of Titus happens in Galatians chapter 2 verse 1 to 3 regarding the Jewish regulation of circumcision for Christians. He was a Greek who was not circumcised. So that's the first mention of Titus. He accompanied Paul on many of his journeys. And during his third missionary journey, Paul sends Titus and companions back to Corinth. You'll find that in 2 Corinthians eight sixteen to 17. If you notice, I have limited the number of references uh, for the sake of flow. But nonetheless, you will get the, the message. So he sent Titus to Corinth with a letter and some money for the church in Jerusalem to meet the needs of the needy. Later, sometime after Paul's imprisonment, Paul visited Crete with Titus. Okay? And then he left Titus there to do the work of the church that Paul would give him responsibility for. That is to appoint elders and to look at church uh, details. Paul then invites Titus back to Nicopolis 
as soon as Paul sends a replacement. So scholars have it that probably Titus did not stay in Crete for a long time. It was kind of a temporary arrangement. I'm not going to get into the details of uh, biblical criticism. We don't need to do that here. But just so that you know, uh, there is some uh, different scholars looking at it differently. But as far as I'm concerned, as far as we as a church are concerned, Titus was in Crete. That's established. Okay. Later we hear of Titus going back to Dalmatia, which is now present Albania. Interesting. So here is Titus, a Greek, who accompanied Paul to Crete, who Paul left at Crete to do the work of the church, and then he travels to meet with Paul, probably at Nicopolis, and then from there he heads to Dalmatia, taking the gospel to present-day Albania. Wonderful, is it not? That's Titus. Now that we have a quick, quick overview of Titus, let's focus our attention on this word, dependent. Probably for some, when you hear or see this word, there is a slight feeling of unease, mixed emotions, conflicting thoughts, or some of you may be thinking, where is this guy going with this? For others, it could have brought up another word in your mind, co-dependent. I'm not going to ask you for a show of hands. So as soon as you saw this word, we've had mixed feelings, emotions, conflicting thoughts, even another word replacing it, which is co-dependent. Let's look at this. Why is that? Why is that? Why did that word come up? Why did we have all the negative feelings associated with the word dependent? That's understandable. Because in our society and world today, we are bombarded with messages of self-reliance, independence, finding answers from within us. Dig deep, you will find Draw resources from your own well. And when your well runs dry, too bad. That's the message we are bombarded day in and day out. It's a conflict between our carnal self and our spiritual self. It is a conflict between humanistic worldview and theistic worldview. Have I lost you there? Humanistic, man is God. Theistic, God is God. Simply put, man is God, God is God. There is a conflict. And the world speaks into our ears at every corner, everywhere. You are God. You are God. Thus, we develop a negative perception of the word dependent. That is why as soon as I showed you the word dependent, boom, out came the word codependent. And you're thinking, why is that? Where is he going with this? Not a good word. That is why we have the negative feelings associated with the word dependent. Let's define codependency. 
These are all simple terminologies. I'm not going into the counseling to the services side of explaining things, but I'm trying to put it as simply as I can so that we as lay people can understand. Codependency. Person drawing from their own self because man is God. Draw from your own well. Draw till you find what you find. And if it runs dry, too bad. Draw from somebody else's well. Codependency is person drawing from their own self and seeking from each other. So if you see that, look at that cartoon, you will meet all of my emotional needs holding hands. Each of them are thinking, you will meet my needs and you will meet my needs. Basically, that is codependent. In other words, we are drawing into our well and when our well runs dry, we are drawing from each other. Dependency. People drawing from God in order to serve each other. If you notice, holding of hands. In both the cases, there are holding of hands. But the holding of hands is with a purpose. One is self-seeking, the other is serving. Now probably you're leaning toward a favorable outlook to the word dependent. Favorable, maybe. Okay, I, I think it's safe to probably look at that word dependent in a new light. Now, with that understanding, let us read Titus chapter 1, verse 1 to 3. Pew Bible, it would be, if I remember the numbers correctly, 917. Pew Bible, 917. Page number 917. This letter from Paul, a slave of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, I have been sent to proclaim faith to those who has chosen and to teach them to know the truth that shows them how to live godly lives. The truth gives them confidence that they have eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised them before the world began. And now, at just the right time, he has revealed this message, which we announce to everyone. It is by the command of God our Savior that I have been entrusted with this work for him. That is Titus chapter 1, verse 1 to 3. If you notice in, this, in these verses, God reached out to humankind by coming in the flesh and dying for us to redeem us from all wickedness, to do what is good. It's the message of incarnation. It's the message of incarnation. The message of incarnation is found in the three chapters of Titus. One of them is this. I let you find the rest. Homework for you. So the message of incarnation is found in the book of Titus. One of them is this. Therefore, we can see that when a relationship is established, it brings meaning to life. With the understanding of the meaning comes the discovery of a message. And with the message comes the responsibility of a mission. It's an alliteration, so you can remember the terms. With the understanding of the message of incarnation, the relationship that God through Christ is established in the life of Paul, 
he has meaning in the understanding of the meaning the significance of his life in the light of what god has done in his life he gets a message and with that message he runs with a mission it's found in this text and it is found this framework is found in the text of titus not just in the text of titus but in the text of the bible i let you use this framework as homework for you so paul was in a dependent relationship with god now do you see not a codependent relationship paul was in a dependent relationship and the elements of the dependent relationship meaning message mission the meaning that paul received from the relationship is paul's relation to god and christ was a as a slave and an apostle he understood the meaning of his relationship the significance of his relationship the significance and the meaning brought on the message which is truth of eternal life promised by god that's the message that he received and that gives him a responsibility to undertake a mission which is to proclaim this message to others i get excited my friends because we i know as elim chapel seek to do this now i'm giving you a framework the framework this is what paul did similarly paul and titus had a relationship because the letter is to titus he called titus a partner a co-worker and in this letter he calls him my true son in the faith and with that introduction he goes on to the rest of titus instructing him giving him the message of what he needs to do to the church sends him out on a mission stay in crete and fulfill what i have asked you to do did you notice the framework again paul says who titus is in the sight of god and in the sight of paul you are my true son he establishes a relationship thus giving meaning to the relationship so titus is open now to receive the message and carry on the responsibility of undertaking a mission for paul and for god exciting i'm excited because it brings meaning to what i'm doing so you can see that in titus you can see that in the life of paul good we can also see this in the life of another character in the bible the samaritan woman how is this possible any ideas is this seen in the life of a samaritan woman it is let's examine 
Samaritan woman at the well, John chapter 4, verse 7 to 42. John chapter 4, verse 7 to 42. You probably know that the Samaritan woman had how many husbands? Five. And the one that she was living with? Okay. Seems like a codependent relationship. Seems like a codependent relationship because she seems to be seeking. Her well is run dry. Now she's latching on to others to draw from theirs. Number one, number two, number three, number four, and number five. Number six, not even husband. Okay. Seems like a codependent relationship where they are seeking from each other but not finding. The relationship that she has with her partners, had with her partners, and has with her partner seems to be having no meaning, hence no message, hence no mission. Codependent. Am I making sense here? The relationship that she has with her partners has no meaning, significance, hence no message, no mission. While she's sitting by the well, while she's coming to the well, Jesus is sitting by the well. It's very interesting when you read the passage. Jesus and she has a discussion, a discourse, where Jesus asks questions. And you will notice immediately the woman starting to speak, engage in a conversation with Jesus. And she's speaking the language of codependency. As probably she sees him as a seeker too. If you notice, read the chapter, you will find it homework again for you. If you read the chapter, you will find when Jesus and the Samaritan woman engages in a discussion, she is speaking to Jesus in the language of codependency, seeking, seeking, expecting Jesus to be a person who would also seek from her. So she asks Jesus, Why are you asking me for a drink? You don't have a rope and a bucket, do you? Another one. Give me this water. I won't have to come here again. You see the language she is using? Language of codependency. I need something from you. Give me something. And what does Jesus do? I am not here to seek from you. I am here to give to you. Powerful. I am here to give to you. So because of her previous experiences, she thought Jesus also is seeking something from her. But Jesus is not seeking something from her. Jesus is wanting to give her life and life eternal. Jesus was trying to seek, trying to establish a relationship bringing meaning into her life, a dependent relationship, not a codependent one, 
where he can satisfy her thirst and save her. Not a taker, but a giver of life. This meaning helps her to discover the message. Could he possibly be the Messiah? And then what does she do? Does she stay by the well and keep drawing water? No, she runs to a village with a mission. I hope you're grasping the truth of this because I'm using this framework to read the scriptures, bringing it to life. Not life for the Bible, but life for me and for you. So the Samaritan woman now has engages with Jesus. She understands Jesus is a giver, not a taker. Hence, having a relationship. Meaning, the message is, could he be the Messiah? Takes on the responsibility to run with the mission of informing others of who Jesus is. Shall we apply the framework to the Samaritan woman and see how she comes out? Ready? So for the Samaritan woman, the meaning is realizing that she is known by God. When she ran to the the village, you know what she told the people? He told me everything I have done. He knows me. Not even my six partners know me that well. He knows me. He knows me. He's not going to take from me. He's going to give to me. So she realizes the meaning, the significance that she is known by God. She latches on to the message that Jesus is the Messiah. Hence, running to the city, informing others that Jesus is the Messiah. Come see him. So you can see the Samaritan woman is moving from a codependent relationship into a dependent relationship. Did she reach there? Did she reach there? No, she didn't. Because it's a step-by-step process. But she has taken the first step of moving from a codependent relationship into a dependent relationship. So we've looked at Paul. We've looked at Titus. We've looked at a New Testament character, the Samaritan woman. My friends, go home and see if you can apply this to the life of other characters in the Bible, both old and new, and see how they turn out. And when you're doing that, take a few minutes to look at our lives. Where are we in our relationship? So, what does it mean for us as Elam Chapel members? What does it mean to us? Let me bring it to home. What does it mean? Great, Bobby, I've spoken about Paul, Titus, Samaritan woman. What does it mean to us? Let's see, as Elam Chapel members. Thank you, John, for the slides. If you remember John's message last week, he spoke about 
shifting our focus, shifting how we see ourselves as owners and not consumers. That is the, where does that fall under? Meaning, message or mission. You tell me. Apply the framework. This slide, when we shift our focus from consumers devouring, taking, to owning, in a position to give. Where does that fall under? Meaning, message or mission? Meaning! It's meaning! I have meaning. The reason I'm sitting in the pew is not to warm it. The reason I'm sitting in the pew is not to get from everybody else. The reason I'm sitting in the pew is because I am an owner. I am, I belong to Christ and this church belongs to me. Make sense? It shifts your focus. It brings meaning. When it brings meaning, we get a message. Did John speak about that last week? He did. That's why I wanted the slides from him. I was saying, hallelujah. See how God works. See how God works. The message was still forming in my mind. And when I was sitting there the other day and listening to John, John, how come you're taking these things from my message? And we never talked about it. We never talked about it. But I felt strongly in my spirit, I should ask him for the slides. I should ask him for the slides. And when I saw his slides, because I had forgotten pieces of it, I was like, wow, I showed Rachel. Rachel, do you see this? God is great. He loves us. He loves us. We looked at the meaning. Meaning, we are owners, not consumers. The message Incarnational living based on Christ Jesus incarnation. The message, so the word became flesh or the word became human and made his home among us. That's the message. That's the message. The meaning, we are owners, not consumers. The message, the word became flesh. Incarnational Theology, incarnational message, incarnational relationship. Did we hear that word before in Titus? Come on, folks. Did we hear that word before in Titus? We did. The passage we read had an incarnational message. And chapter 2 and chapter 3 also has an incarnational message. So what's the message? The word became flesh and dwelt among us. So what's our mission then? So we've got the meaning, we've got the mission. Sorry, the, uh, the meaning and the message. So what's the mission? It's all from his slides. I didn't change anything. I didn't change anything. Can you believe that? How God beautifully orchestrates it. When I got this, I knew this is what Elam Chapel wanted or needed to hear. Hallelujah. Elam Chapel, that includes me. That includes each one of us. 
So our mission is each person owning the mission of Elam Chapel. That's my mission. And what is that mission? Disciples of Jesus who are seeking to help others become disciples of Jesus. Basically, we are disciples seeking to help others become disciples. We are not disciples sitting in our pews to warm the pews, but we are disciples, not disciples seeking to help others, to give, to serve. Am I making sense, folks? Let us put this into the framework now. Those of you who are engineers here probably would understand framework. Those of you who are in, in other professions would understand and appreciate framework. Putting things in framework would give some sense of organization, I feel. If you think otherwise, use another method that applies to you. Dependent relationship for Elam Chapel. Owners and not consumers. What's the message? Incarnational living. So the word became human and made his home among us. What's the mission for each one of us? Discipling, helping others become disciples. You see how I'm using the framework now? I've used the framework for Paul. I've used the framework which the Lord has given me. This cannot be my thinking. I, I, I totally submit to what the Lord has to do in our lives. I applied the framework to Titus, I applied the framework to the Samaritan woman, and I'm applying the framework to Elam Chapel. Elam Chapel, we've looked at. We've looked at the bigger picture. We brought it home to the church as a whole. But what does it mean for me? What does it mean for me? I've given an empty slide. What does it mean for me? I would put my name there, Bobby. What's the meaning for me? What's the meaning for me? What is an area that I'm struggling with that I need to develop a dependent relationship with my God and my Savior? What am I struggling with? Let's begin taking baby steps, one step at a time. Not too many, because we'll fail. And God doesn't expect us to do that. So one example that I would think in my life would be work. My work. Because of the humanistic worldview and because of the carnal self that I fight with on a daily basis... My work, I want to do things my own way. She's wrong, I'm right. He's wrong, I'm right. I fight to be dependent on God to help me at my work. And I want to be self-reliant. Thus, I'm not fulfilling the mission of what Christ called me to do, which is be an ambassador of Christ wherever you are. So church, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Work, who is he? Who is he? Bobby? Man, he's a mean old chap. There is a problem somewhere. 
The problem is not with God. Problem is not with Elam Chapel. The problem is me. Because I am listening to the bombarded messages and not yielding to have a dependent relationship with my God as regard to my work. So how do I acquire victory or gain victory? Every day morning when I get up, I pray, Lord, I'm going to work today. I love my work, by the way. I'm going to work today. Every challenge, every decision that I have to take, I'm your child. Please guide me. I've established a relationship giving me significance, meaning the message. My child, go forth, be my ambassador. You are my ambassador. Mission, to represent Christ where I am placed in my work. I may not get my way, but may his will be done. Is it practical? It is practical. Is it painful? It is painful. Because you're dying to self. But the message says, man is God. How can you? So think about it. I'll leave you with this. What is an area like I shared? What is an area in your life that you would like to depend more on God? Get a meaning for that area. And then get a message from Him. So that you walk forth from here with a mission. Or at home when you're thinking about this with a mission. Remember, C.S. Lewis said this. You may forget that you, you are at every moment totally dependent on God. Shall we pray? Lord Jesus, we thank you, Father, for this time. Thank you that you've helped us understand that you love us so much. That you sent your son to die on the cross for us. That we may be saved. And have eternal life. And to be called your children. Thank you for that meaning you've brought into our lives. That we are your children. And we can call you our Father. Thank you, O Lord, the message of salvation that you have placed in our hearts. Of who we are in Christ. And thank you, O Lord, for entrusting us with the responsibility to share that with others. Be it in our work, be it in our marriage, wherever it be. That through our lives and through our words, we may live out that message and fulfill the responsibility of the mission that you have entrusted to us. Thank you for this church. Thank you for the people here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.